0: What's up everyone, welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host Ryan Kramer and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started what's up everyone ryan kramer of crossover commerce here welcome to episode 55 i'm gonna say it's 55 i believe we're here we are 56 look at that i had to always double check my own notes 56 of Crossover commerce presented by ping pong payments ping pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds an account with us enables companies to significantly reduce their cost when receiving or making international payments all in one platform Help increase operational efficiencies, saves time, and allows sellers to manage their business profits in one single source. For more information, go ahead and hit those links below that are in our comment section. Uh, if you want to learn more about how to open a free ping pong account today and save yourself some money. Thank you again for everyone who's joining us again live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Again, 56 episodes we've already brought to you today, or to date, I should say. But if you're listening to this on our podcast, uh, whether it's on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcast, thank you for joining it and listening to us there. Go ahead and rate us and uh, download those videos. We're a little bit behind in uploading those, but rest assured you will get all the video content over to our audio format so you can listen to it there. But do me a favor again and follow, like, and share every episode that you come across on social media and hit that reminder button down there in that button or that, that bottom right hand corner, I should say, for most platforms to make sure that you're notified when crossover commerce episodes go live. I go live about four to five times a week, which is kind of insane in my mind. It, we started very small and it wasn't consistent, but now we're going four to five times a week live. And next week, believe it or not, I'm going live six times, twice in one day. So I must be crazy. But I'm doing this for the audience out there to bring you value, content, and insights in the Amazon and e-commerce industry. So with that being said, if you have a question, if you're watching this live, please comment in the sections below on social media. Again, Facebook and LinkedIn. We will see all those comments. Make sure you tell us where you're from. If you're listening from us around the world, tell us where you're listening from. And then also what questions you might have for our guest or myself. Uh, We will see all of those, and we'll try to answer as many of those Um, entirely, uh, during this show in this one hour block that we have. And then also, if this is later, when you're listening to this, go ahead and still, uh, put us your questions in those comments and we'll come back and try to answer those as much as possible. That being said, let me get right to our, uh, guest today, um, about global wired advisors. Let me dive into the company that, uh, our guest works for global wired advisors, is a leading digital investment bank focused on optimizing the business side sale process. Our Their approach, uh, not, I'm not a part of water, I, Wired Advisors. Uh, our, their approach combines decades of merger and acquisition experience with online and e-commerce ex- expertise to increase the transactional value of your greatest assets, which is what we will talk about today. Maximizing the value of your company and business sale is achieving their full Uh, expression of its full potential and choosing the right representation to provide this vision for the right buyer means putting your future in focus and about our guest today uh he is the first point of contact for global wired advisors and offers invaluable insight to help sellers and buyers reach their full potential before and during and after their sale of their business he also serves as a head of business development for global wired advisors leveraging his background in sales and digital marketing to grow their brand for the past seven years he has focused exclusively on high-level consulting for multi-million dollar omni-channel digitally native and amazon-based private label and omni-channel brands that's a mouthful uh, while uh, his partner spent decades working for institutional investment banking he spent 14 years as a consumer product sales and marketing executive working for various sizes and companies in, in companies ranging from 20 million dollars to 500 million dollars this rich experience allowed him to fully understand and how to operate a multifunctional business and manage complex organizations. Without further ado, let me go ahead and bring on to our show of Global Wired Advisors, Chris Schifferling of Global Wired Advisors. Hey Chris, what's up?
1: Hey, how are you, man? Good to see you again.
0: I know it's uh it's been a ride. It's it's been a week. I can't believe this week's already almost done. It's it feels like it's been a blur. I've had so much yeah. going on. Just like Q1 in general has been a blur. Like February's almost feels like it's almost over. It's Valentine's Day this weekend. It's bananas. Like I don't even yeah. know what day it is, but it's it, it's it's kind of how it is right now, right?
1: <laughs> it's cra- it's crazy. Yeah, I feel like I just woke up well, my family and I were in Disney World last week. So we were we were in the uh, Magic Kingdom and so I feel like I just woke up yesterday and was riding the Millennium Falcon and now, you know, a week already passed by since that time. So <laughs> I was
0: going to I was going to ask you since uh lots of people aren't like vacationing and stuff. I'm I'm curious on your perspective like mm-hmm. before we dive into it. What was it like? Like what was that decision like for you and the family like, hey, is is it going to be safe? Like I know Disney World's like, you know, there's a bunch of rides and people and whatnot. Like, tell me about your experience. I'm, I'm just curious yeah. like, how there, that, that's well, a big corporation that is running and trying to like contain continue to make people safe. So I'm curious what your thoughts were.
1: Yeah. I mean, a couple, I'd say a couple things. One, you know, uh, my, my kids have actually been back at school since last August. And so, okay. uh, because of that, we felt the decision to really just travel in general, we were comfortable. <laughs> Um, sure. I, I had to travel for business a couple times, uh, you know, through the pandemic. And so, um, just already, already experienced on how to travel through this pandemic and, um, and stay safe and as safe as, as we possibly can. Um, yeah. And, and, and two, you know, there's no one in our immediate family. My, it was my wife and my two kids that were at, that were at high risk and so that also you know weighed in on our decision too and disney was just super over the top man i mean they were protocols were left and right and you know they they were even a bit militant about the masks i mean you my, my wife actually took a break for she was drinking a dasani water and put it down just for i'd say no more than maybe 45 seconds and there was a there was a um, a worker, a cast member that just, I mean, beelined from the ye old Christmas shop to our bench and was like, I need you to put your mask up. <laughs> yeah,
0: we was, were like, was it what first wow. off was was it a character, was it Goofy that was doing that and told her gosh gorsh mr gorsh Gorsh missus you need to put on your mask and uh, that was a really bad goofy impression but (laughs) that would make that would make it more enjoyable like yeah you're not like you're not like not approachable or like some person that sounds crazy you're goofy like that'd be awesome um but yeah anyway i can imagine like as some like a business especially in business world like you work with lots of business owners if they work in like retail or anything like that everyone wants to get back open and but be safe and like accommodating to make people feel like they can spend time there so i can imagine that disney does does a good job as well so that's awesome like what was your what was your favorite uh part of that that kind of vacation if you will
1: gosh yeah my wife and i were we were kind of you know kind of talking through that while we were uh traveling back home and uh I'd say probably two two distinct moments when we first got there. We went right to Epcot, and uh, we yep. never really. The other thing about the pandemic, you're wearing a mask, so you okay. can't walk fast, right? I mean, you probably could, but you get fairly winded quickly, and it's just not comfortable. And so we uh, walked a lot slower, and mm-hmm. we did more. We did more things, and so awesome. probably probably for the first time. We really went through Epcot and like actually enjoyed Epcot, everything they had to offer. We went on every ride. It was Epcot's
0: awesome. one of my favorite, most undervalued, I think, properties because as an adult, I, I think like you look at Epcot and you're like, "Yep, I need to travel the world again." Like I, I just need to go to places again. Like this, that's this right. would do it for me for sure. But yeah,
1: that's just exactly like the different
0: right. countries. Yeah, the different countries. I know they're bringing a lot more rides to it, which is pretty they more are. like more adult focused. But I think yeah. that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, so you guys did that? Did you? You're you're in North Carolina. So did you guys drive or did you fly?
1: We flew. Yeah, we flew down there. It's just we've done the driving to Disney thing several times, and it's not great.
0: <laughs> you know, with two, with
1: two young kids, <laughs> and it's just not great. So I will tell you. I mean, I don't know how much of a Star Wars uh, fan you are, uh, big, but big fan. the other the other memorable time was millennium was basically hollywood studios i mean it was it was tremendous my son is a huge star wars nerd and our whole family is tends to be more star wars nerds and so we we got to get on the rise of the resistance we went on star tours and saw a new so apparently they have 26 or 27 sequences on every one of those star tours rides so when you're when you get in and you feel like you're seeing something new for the first time. It's right. it's it's probably true because you're seeing another sequence you haven't seen in the past. It's in, it's insane, and then of course the Millennium Falcon. We got to ride that. Um, we got to ride that a couple times, and my <laughs> my son, my son, my son, and I loved it because we were both the pilots, and. <laughs> and uh, so I gotcha. Yeah, you, kick, you so, kicked out Chewie
0: and uh, Han Solo,
1: so that, that's good. <laughs> we did, man. I'll, and 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 it's funny, my my son, because you're at one point in the ride, you actually have to pull back on the on the thruster, um, okay. just like Chewie does or whatever or Han Solo, but. You know how he says punch it Chewy My you know, son, Yeah. Yeah, you know, when it was time for me to do that, he turned to me and told me to punch it Chewy. So it was uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I you're like laugh. I will it's never hard. forget that in my life. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys had a good time. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Thank was it you. hard was it was it easy to get away from work or were you constantly like in the, your industry, I can imagine you're you probably have to be pretty dialed in. So, I know I gave you a quick like rundown of your bio and background of what you guys do. So like, maybe walk me through for people who don't know, like global wired advisors or like what you do in your background. Can you walk us through like what, what you do specifically and then how global wired advisors kind of operates?
1: Yeah, absolutely. To answer your first question, you know, no, we're very, the, we're, we're a four partner led firm and the four partners are very respectful of one another when it comes to travel, you know, okay. for are away with our families, you know, they're not, calling me, texting me, you know, I might check in a couple times, but that's also the beauty of owning your own business too. Right. And especially picking the people you decide to work with, um, you know, is, is very important. So, so yeah, you're looking for then to answer your other questions, you're looking for effectively just the story of global wired. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Perfect. Well, yeah. So we started about, uh, gosh, it was roughly about three, just over three years ago. Um, it was, uh, I, I, was working, as you mentioned in my bio, I was working for various, uh, um, uh, baby product companies. I was in the baby and toy space. And so as a sales and marketing executive, and as you mentioned to, you know, all different types of shapes and sizes running from 22 million, all the way up to half a billion dollars. So, Um, I, I spent, that was lion's share of my career. I was, you know, going to line reviews at target. I was going to, to Walmart. I was going to Bed Bath & Beyond and Kohl's and Nordstrom and Pottery Barn and all the major big box retailers and pitching them on, on the products that we were selling. At at, at the same time, I also got very acquainted with Amazon vendor central because that was one of the first accounts that I actually managed at my first job. Um, Amazon at the time, and I can't remember exactly which year it was, but you know, they were going to our they were going to our trade shows and making a really big push for baby products. They wanted that parent consumer. So I had a lot of good experience when it came to vendor central. I sold to, you know, all the larger e-commerce players. I sold to the the Target.coms and et cetera, but I realized that I needed to pivot my career back in probably 2015 um okay. i was about fourteen, fifteen. um I, I actually at the time i was working for a, a an a international baby products company it was a premium uh, stroller and car seat business called Jean a and they uh i was tasked with bringing you know basically establishing Jean a north america as a as an executive general manager and so what i struggled with though was in between collections i had about a half a million dollars in, of inventory in in a warehouse that needed to move. And so That's my, not
0: that's not stressful or anything, right? Right. Like uh, for any Amazon seller it's like, yeah, I just have a half a million dollars in assets just sitting there in a warehouse waiting to be sold. Yeah, that's not stressful
1: at all. <laughs> no. And so, you know, my the retailer base at the time wasn't taking it. It really wasn't. You know, it was going to cost a lot of money to really push it through our website. Um so I just decided to go ahead, buckle down and really learn Amazon. So instead at the time, which has been kind of the traditional where resellers were very big, right? <laughs> Traditionally you would sell to, and I actually sold to, to ETails at, at, at the time. I was selling through ETails and they were purchasing our inventory and really managing the Amazon business. And there are a few others that were selling on Amazon. I said, I gotta learn this thing myself. So kind of during that gold rush, I just buckled down and I mean there's no there's no course at Kellogg or you know, Northwestern or uh, or Harvard that's offering Hey, here's how you run an Amazon business. It's all school of hard knocks, and you got to really just do do your own digging in effectively. And so, so yeah, man, I learned fast forward. I learned it. I really pivoted my career at that time to become a, um, just a pure digital marketer. I I learned more than just Amazon. I, I had been working at that point with our um, digital marketing firm for a few years when it came to Facebook ads, ads man, ad, ad strategy. When it comes to Google Ads and just the SEO strategy, as it was ever evolving from you know, the years of early 2000s, all the way up until today and continuing to evolve. So I already had a good framework, I really dug in learned how to be a true digital marketer. Um, And after after that stint with Jean a I started my own consulting business where I really helped uh, enterprise level clients uh, formulate good digital strategy. And it was during that it was during that time that I actually met my three partners. So they already started another firm called Providium Advisors. Um, it was a lower middle market investment bank that was focused on uh, small to medium sized businesses that are more traditional in in nature, right? So you know they were uh, one of their trades was a forty million dollar manufacturer down in South Carolina, right? <laughs> you know this <just laughs> as an example. And so when I came along, we met and we hit it off right away. Um, And really global was birthed through a, a conversation over coffee. And we said to kind of collectively, there's a real void in this space for a true investment bank or an investment banking process to really help sellers as these businesses are now growing and thriving, really bridge the gap from that call it traditional way of brokering to selling a business in a very optimized form. And okay. so, Global Wired Advisors was was for, was started. Uh, it was formed back, uh, like I said, about three years ago. And um, yeah, we're a four partner led firm, continuing to build out our support staff. We just hired uh, to an analyst this week, another so asso- two associates, and a vice president. And we're about to hire another vice president, potentially a managing director. So. We're, we're in, our infrastructure is what you would find at a middle market investment bank. We're not 1099 guys on a bunch of different desks across the country. Right. Um, you know, we're internal, we're intrinsic focused, we're, we're resourced intrinsically. Um, and and so it, it, it makes for when a seller sells through global, it's not that they're selling through Chris Shipferling the broker. They're right. selling through a investment bank that's utilizing every piece of resource it can possibly utilize to optimize that sale process.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's a distinction I've, I've saw on your website when I'm hearing you keep mentioning investment bank versus brokerage. Mm -hmm. Now I want to make the distinction between the two, because I think that's where you guys try to put your hat on is that difference between one versus like a traditional brokerage. What would you consider that what's the distinguishing factor between that like a broker who has been around there maybe like you know 15 years or longer than you guys what what is that difference?
1: Yeah, it's not time, it's not it it is time, it is experience, but uh it's different type of experience. So let's start with career history, right? Right. To be someone, you know, a, a true traditional investment bank offers lots of different products. A brokerage just brokers and sells your business in a passive way. Right. So when it comes to an investment bank, now we're not Finra broker dealer yet. That's a whole other conversation we can have. That's when you're actually underwriting debt and you're trading securities and you're effectively offering either equity or debt offerings under 20% of the the enterprise value of the company. We're not there yet, we're headed towards that path. However, the types of products we offer One, sell side engagements, which is you know, Ryan has an incredible e-commerce business and it's two to three, four million plus in EBITDA and he wants to have an optimized uh, transaction and we understand what your goals look like. So we're really kind of layering in the goals and the type of fit for, and I'll get into all that later, but that's one. That's sell side engagement. We actually do buy side engagements as well. Now, what that means is And we actually have two of them that we're currently working on private equity firm two, two very one middle market and one very large private equity firm has reached out to us and said, hey, we want to hire you guys to help us target specific acquisitions for one of our portfolio companies. Uh, We're creating a roll up strategy around e-comp. We need your help with that. So that's another call it invest, traditional investment banking product that's offered. Another one too would be raises, so capital raises. And again, as long as you're as long as long you're raising um, and not doing it for a publicly traded company, then it goes back to what I said, you don't have to be FINRA broker dealer for that. Um, that is still something we do, but that is fairly far and few between. We did a $22 million raise about a month, well, December of 2019, it closed. So we can do them. But at the same time, it's not something that we're doing and actively marketing. And we're not actively marketing buy-side engagements. Those come to us and are solicited to us. Sell-side engagements is really where we're focused. So so it's the products that are being offered that really is is what distinguishes an investment bank versus a brokerage. And also, it's career history. I mean, it is extremely difficult to work for bulge-bracket investment banks, And it's extremely so it's not only difficult to get a job there, but it's extremely difficult to work in that environment and thrive in that environment. You work on extremely complex financial transactions that are very, 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 I mean, large, sure, but extremely complex. Right. So they're hiring from all of the Ivy Leagues effectively. And so the three partners of mine all came from those large bulge bracket investment banks. They came from Deutsche Bank and Bank of America and Wells Security. So our firm really is very unique because we're offering that large financial engineering background. Mm -hmm. And then we're also coupling that with digital expertise. So we're able to really deploy just very strong resources into someone's business when we are prepping them to market to, to sell their, to sell their company. I'd say the other big distinguishing factor, uh, is process. It is absolutely process 120%. And, um, it's yeah, walk, walk
0: me through, like, what, it, what does it look like to work with you guys? Like, uh, yeah. I'm an e-commerce seller or I have a, you know, just for simple purposes, most of the people watching the show have their own like brand or business. If I'm looking to you guys at a certain point, I need, I want to exit my business. I'm coming to you guys, correct?
1: That's. I hope so. And and if you do, <laughs> if you do, and you come to us, we're gonna spend a lot of time together before I'm putting any type of engagement letter in front of you. I gotta understand your business from from A to Z, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, yeah. But I gotta understand your business. I gotta understand all the functions of the company. I've gotta dive into your numbers. I have to digest your financials. I need to spend a lot of time making sure that you know your business, that you understand your business, and you also have a plan for your company because your view about your business, Ryan, is very important when it comes to the buying community. They want to know what you believe about your business and if you're confident about your business. So what we're going to do is we're going to take it in its current form. We're going to take every bit of your company and all functions, once we're engaged. So at that point, we spent a lot of time together engagement letter goes out. Now we are engaged, you are a client, we're going to spend three weeks diving deep with our associates and our analysts under now really kind of taking all of the pieces and painting a Picasso to the buying community because we're going to try and put you in a position of strength, not a position of weakness when it comes to selling your company. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to create a market. So Ryan has a games business and you know you've been to toy fair you've got a really nice company majority of your concentration for revenue is probably ecom maybe not maybe it's half and half um and you're really looking for an optimized exit well since you're games you know one of the things our our investment bank does is we go to trade shows and we get to know strategics we have meetings with CEOs of very large and medium sized toy companies um we've had several of them with just game specific companies just to get to know them and understand what their acquisition criteria looks like and let them know we're we're going to get deal flow in this space and we would like to put that deal flow in front of you especially when we truly understand what your criteria looks like so Mm -hmm. we're going to go create a market that's a big difference right because instead of just sending out to a subscriber list and you know claiming i've got all these buyers 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 that's a real just use car salesman tactic in my opinion and i'm not trying to disparage but i'm trying to create contrast i'm trying to create distinction as you mentioned right right because one is one is a, a a tactic of buyers 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 and and it's more tactical in nature and passive and our process is much more aggressive in the sense of we go create the market for for your business. We go find right. specific buyers that would love to look at your company and would love to purchase your company.
0: So yeah, more, more of a, what I'm hearing is you're trying to know what they want from you and like what they want out of it and what's the best marketplace to go after. Basically, like if, hey, I'm in the toy company, I'm going to go after, and this is why I'm valuable. And you go after those. Potential roll-up companies or aggregators, potentially, or another sort of company that might be interested because you're strong in this category. That's what it sounds like. Not the valuation yeah. of a brand, almost like a this is this is a holistic approach and more category fit. Is that a fair assumption?
1: It, it is. It's 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 more strategic. That's the way right. you got to see it. It's a right. very strategic way of 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 putting your particular business through a process. And I would say, too, great, great example for your listeners and great example, I think, for you, too. There's a there's there's a business that we have to market. You'll never know it, by the way. We don't list it on our website. We don't have it. We don't have it in an email blast. There's an offer that a business that we just recently got 11 offers on that business. You know, you understand it's not underpriced. There is no price on our companies that we put out to market. So it's not like they bid 11 bids because. Oh my gosh, this is Facebook marketplace, right? This is completely, again, that's also part of the difference in the process. And so we put it out to to, um, mainly strategics and private equity, actually only strategics and private equity. We had over 413 private equity firms that were wanting to to look at acquisitions in the space. And of course, the strategics, we had 11 offers on that company. And just just to really hit on a point about aggregators and roll up, there was only one aggregator bid, 10 from middle market to not necessarily well enterprise or cl- touching close to institutional private equity firms that want to get in this particular category. It's in baby products. Mm-hmm. And so that's a world of difference than what you're, you're talking gonna-
0: to, You're yeah. talking about companies that are different than just the traditional like, Oh, th- when you say aggregators, everyone knows Thrasia, you know, Heyday, you know, you know, the traditional like elevate brands, so on and so forth, you know, that group. But yeah, then you're talking about different, you're talking about investment portfolios who are like, maybe I'm going to throw out a name, Procter & Gamble who wants to buy a business because they're doing well in this business because it fits their category or they want to diversify in this kind of almost a, similar to
1: similar. To and that would be, that would be classified as a corporate strategic corporate strategics, okay. like a and G they'll yeah. pay more. They just don't do as They don't do as many acquisitions. Private right. equity is in the business because they've got, LPs, right? So these limited, mm-hmm. limited partners, LPs are pouring cash in. And then you have the GP who is basically running that fund. And he's been tasked to go find as many deals within whatever strategy that fund is is looking to deploy. So sometimes what they do is they'll look for like what they call a, a platform or a cornerstone deal. What they mean by that is they're looking for something a bit more sizable and chunkier at with more market share within a specific industry. So like toy and games, they might look at you and go, hey, this is $10 million in EBITDA. This is a strong, growing, thriving company. Its majority uh, focus is is in concentration is on e-commerce. This is perfect for us. We want to get in this space. This will become our cornerstone deal. And then from there, they're going to start doing, they're going to start going out and getting acquisitions to roll up into that particular company potentially. Makes so sense. that's one kind of example.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And then what I would, but the other thing I was hearing, you guys do more than just so in the e-commerce space. So a lot of people are brands themselves, but you guys—it sounds like it's more than just brands or sellers on Amazon. Businesses that you're brokering, essentially, it's more. It could be SaaS. It can also be. Um, I think I saw the Digital other one agencies. was uh, yeah agencies. Okay, so you're yeah. talking about like an agency itself that either sells to another agency or sells to another. You're talking about like a another entity like this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Effectively, a, a digital marketing agency, an Amazon consulting agency. That's that's grown up and is now a real business. Let's just call spade to spade. Back in two thousand sixteen, it was just someone out of his you know spare bedroom, and now they've got a real team. They've got a real. In, they got real infrastructure. They have real EBITDA. You know, they've got you know a, a real growth trajectory. And frankly speaking, you've got now a lot of potential demand for for agencies like that because so much new capital is being poured into. The e-commerce space, so and yeah, I mean it's it's far and few between. There's not a we don't focus very heavily. Digital agencies tend to be a byproduct of just the space that we play in and consumer products. Um, SaaS is also far and few between. It's not necessarily something we're actively going and pers- after and pursuing. We found that a lot of SaaS business owners are more. Uh, looking at that kind of Silicon Valley VC, I want to IPO one day. Um, yeah, and so our, our focus really is consumer products. That's our focus. And so to your answer to your question, yeah, I mean as far as active deals or deals that are going to market, it's a whole buffet. I mean, I got We have one. We have one uh, deal right now. It's you know close to a ten million dollars in EBITDA. These guys are traditional distribution, like they have four or five distributors across the country they sell in bass pro shop they sell in cabelas i mean they're they're a fairly kind of traditionally minded sales channel they've got some amazon and they've got their website by halo effect is just doing really well but they do right. zero marketing for it so and then i've got you know a deal that just closed 2 days ago that was 98% amazon you know but it was a sizable deal so yeah our buffet of active deals looks uh (laughs) comes in all shapes and sizes
0: (laughs) i was gonna say yeah it it sounds like a smorgasbord if to throw out another word for
1: buffet of
0: of like what you're working with so that that's fascinating um i think what a lot of people are understanding and again uh if you're listening or watching this on social media everyone go ahead and say hi Uh, hi lisa again uh friend of, of the show she's always like tuning in and uh listening and getting different tips and tricks so uh, awesome and looking forward to uh, your thoughts on it, Lisa. Um, but if you have questions for Chris or I definitely comment on the comments below, um, whether you're on LinkedIn, YouTube or Facebook. Uh, I know we're on Twitter too, but I don't think you can reply back on Twitter. That'd be weird, I don't want like random tweets coming in, hitting me hard. Don't, don't at me on yeah. Twitter. So uh, just watch us. But anyways, right. uh, <laughs> uh, I get uh, some of some of the things that are coming to mind. And and again, this is all stream of consciousness. So by all means, what, I love it. For for what Amazon sellers are looking for, and I know like mm-hmm. this is such a hot topic because they're either they're, there's a big there's a big distinction between the marketplaces. What I'm seeing, they're either entering the market and like how do I become successful so I can eventually get to this place? Because they hear about the thracios, the the role of the aggregator companies. It's a really hot place to be in right now um, because 2020, I think, really shone a light on that need. Yeah. The second place is. I'm an Amazon seller and I'm like, I need to know the minimum qualifications I need to hit or almost like a checklist, if you will, like, Hey, I've been in business this long. I'm doing this much yeah. monthly revenue. I'm like, I'm in this many marketplaces. I have this much, uh, you know, this many products or listings or whatever. Walk me through what, what is a minimum qualified business that you guys are even looking at look like?
1: Yeah. Well, well, for what we look at versus the advice that I would give somebody just in terms of how you framed everything there you know kind of a minimum qualification so i can let me separate those two the two different sure. answers yeah let's do it minimum qualifications across the board just build a great business now what does that mean <laughs> right that's a 90,000 foot dart building a great business means that you're methodical about the category you're getting into you're looking for white space you're looking to build a brand, which by the way is a is a whole other topic we could talk about. What does a brand look like, right? Yeah. But you're exactly. actually bu- you're actually building out a brand. You're choosing products that are not commoditized. They are specialized, right? They've got some flair of of uniqueness. Now we can use terms like IP, we can use terms like, you know, trademark patent, et cetera. But let's let's keep it a bit more uh, artistic in that sense, in the sense of try and find ways to build a product that you know is going to resonate very well within a specific vertical with a large consumer base, period. And when you do that, you build either a product or a set of products that help also build out a product roadmap because that's what a good brand does. A good brand has a plan to not just have one trick pony, three trick ponies, a good brand is vertically focused. It isn't in seven different verticals. That's kind of the the first wave gold rush of FBA businesses. They were selling garlic presses and they were selling, you know, kitty litter. The you number know, one like, example
0: in Amazon. A garlic always. Press.
1: It's always why is it a
0: garlic press? <laughs> Chris, why is it a garlic press? I don't it's know. It's a great question. I man. wish it was yeah. something else like sexier. Like I God, what? it could be anything. Like garlic <laughs> press. Like do like know. The, the most unsexy. If I went to my if I went to my kitchen right now, I can find 10 more products that are way more sexier to talk about than garlic press. One being can opener. Like a even ton. a can opener, can opener yeah. is a multifunctional thing. Uh a toaster. Well, I know that's an not yeah. but a toaster is better than a girl. Anyways. Whatever, yeah. off topic. <laughs> I, hate, I hate how that's the number one thing I always come across. I know, we need, we need I to know. start establishing a new like kitchen gadget. It needs to be yeah, something cool. I agree. And we'll, you and I will know. We started it here, so we Anyways. did.
1: That's right. On this particular podcast, we started <laughs> a over commerce podcast. We started a better <laughs> way of doing things. So, so yeah, you know, it's just the idea, and it's it's the lens of creating something great. That's really what it is. Right. Right. And so it's, it's, it's doing the research to understand which vertical to get into. It's doing the research to try and identify the right product set or the type of products that you want to offer to a large consumer base. It's about doing the right things when it comes to uh, brand is how the customer perceives you. And so making sure you do the right things across the board from a holistic perspective, that's kind of on the, call, call it just the, 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 the shelf. Right. But then, behind the scenes, um, you're you're making sure you're building in enough gross margin to handle Amazon, and also to handle uh, the the cost of of driving sales through your own website too. Right? It's it's not none of this is cheap, and so you have to have enough gross margin built into your business. But you know, again, this goes back to this is why in business school they teach you how to write a business plan, right? business planning is very, very important to growing a great business. Now you can scrap that and throw it out because you know, you'll hear from lots of founders, us included, you have a hypothesis or you have a a theoretical idea of what you're going to do at first. And then you adapt, you just continue to evolve and adapt, but you got to go into it with a really solid plan. Mm -hmm. Know your, know what your numbers look like, start looking at a forecast, you know, and, and identifying what skill sets do you bring to the table and where, where do you need to start outsourcing some skill sets? So if you do that, you will build a great business and it will grow. It will grow in top line revenue. It will thrive in bottom bottom line EBITDA and you will have minimum qualifications, absolutely, to be an extremely attractive acquisition target. And so-
0: Yeah, go ahead. Keep going.
1: You keep going. You go, man. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, yeah, well, I was going to say- you, you mentioned assets a lot and, and that's kind of the whole component of this. As a brand owner, I may not know the assets I do actually quantify or like I have with me. My mind, in my mind, an asset is, and I kind of listed it in our show notes of NASA is me, either the seller, because I know the business. I have like I know the processes, I've built out the SOPs, all this other stuff. So me as a business owner, it's my product or inventory, it's my listings. And then my brand that I've built, those are the more four major ones. I think of when I think assets, what am I missing there?
1: Nothing really. I mean, look, okay. an asset, an asset is an asset is what is what you've built that consumers really like to purchase man and consumer products. That's it. Gotcha. So that's what your asset is. So you've kind of, you broke down the larger term asset within consumer products. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of folks will kind of look at it more traditionally. Assets are my computers and what I've got in you know, machinery, tangible that goods. That are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, no, 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 no. You you broke it down. Um, I think I think that's a good way of breaking it
0: down. So how do you? So let let's go one by one. Let, how do we maximize each of those? Let's start with uh, pro- again, product. Yeah, or the, yeah, let's start at the top. Me. How do I maximize yeah.
1: me? Well, again, I'm only Nikos- one person. <laughs> yeah, again it goes it goes back to a business plan. Honestly, you got to look at it and go, what am I bringing to the table? What am I not bringing to the table? And how do I build out a how do I build out a company and a team effectively to help me accomplish this business plan? And oh, by the way, you know, does this business need me to thrive? And if the answer is yes, then you have to in the beginning Start thinking through how I'm going to get myself out of this business. If I could, if I go away tomorrow, because that's the point of selling, how how am I going to transfer over this business to someone else? I mean, SOPs are, are wildly important. You know, I don't know if you've ever read the E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's a fantastic book. It was one of the first business books I read a long time ago. Um, it it speaks. It actually gives Ray Kroc and the McDonald's. It's more of like a franchising type book, but the idea is that McDonald's, the reason why they could replicate so quickly and so fast is because they effectively built a book that they could hand to a new owner and literally follow it step-by-step, page-by-page. I'm gonna to need to make fries. I do this, I take it out of this, put it in this meat, put it in this cooker, et cetera, et cetera, right? It lines everything up. And so, yes, I mean, being organized, gosh, of course it's wildly beneficial. Because organization to a buyer or buyers or a fund just shows that you know this business this business owner in particular has built something uh, great.
0: Uh, All you you said, McDonald's. All I think about is the movie The Founder with Michael Keaton, and that is such an underrated movie that I love. Fantastic in terms of like franchise. You're talking about franchising versus like a business model. Uh and what what's more profitable? It's the franchise business of McDonald's and the land property. It's almost like the real estate business versus the actual entity itself. So I thought that was super fascinating to learn about that too.
1: Through that, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. McDonald's, I mean, if we really could wax poetic, McDonald's is a real estate business, but the the reality, the the principle from this book is write everything down so you can hand it over to somebody else, right? Make sure you've got all your processes in place. Processes are very important to a thriving business, very, very important. So, so yeah, I mean, minimum qualifications. I would say you building you've built a great business, and when you've when you've built through the lens of building something great, you're going to have all the minimum qualifications, right? You're going to be vertically focused. You're going to have you're going to have the financials reflect a very attractive company um, you're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have growing top line revenue. You're going to have a real trajectory. You're going to have a, a three year product roadmap to show where this business is going next. You're going to have strong branding. Uh, I could keep going, but I'll just keep repeating myself. So that's, that's okay. That I, yeah, for
0: everyone weird. watching, we put, we put the link to this book on the Amazon, but the, again, Amazon and books, like, like how poetic is this? Amazon and books listing came up first when I searched for it. So e-book, e-myth revisited book, yeah. uh, put the listing in our comments. If you're watching on LinkedIn, you can head over to our other social pages or in the show notes and then make sure you check that out there. So that that's a really cool book. I'll make sure, you know, that link well, stays I, I would with say, this one.
1: I would say this too. I'll throw another book recommendation. It's something I just read um, and actually almost done, but um, How to Measure Your Life by Clay Christensen. Anybody okay. wanting to grow a business, just starting from you know, kind of that day one mentality of business planning and kind of thinking through, it's a really good book because it not only just talks about, you know, he's a very, very intelligent professor from Harvard, but it not only just talks about, you know, here are all the things you should think through from a business perspective with lots of good examples, but then also balancing that home life too, talking about how important that is as entrepreneurs you know and as business owners it's it's very important to, to have a balance of the two so yeah.
0: I'll put that in the show notes as well so so awesome. that is uh, that is the you know person me the brand how I can defer, you know yep. basically maximize myself maximizing product inventory what that looks like in the mind of you as a business or a, an investment bank or broker what how do I maximize and make myself look the greatest in terms of my inventory?
1: You know, I mean, it's uh, what? Gosh, let's get real, kind of in the weeds. It's inventory management. How well has inventory been managed? Do you have any dead inventory? Do you have any, um, you know, uh, call it past ninety days type of columns in your uh, in your inventory spreadsheets or in your ERP? Um, You know, how many turns per year is your part? That's all part of inventory management. How many turns per year are you achieving? You know how how well are you managing cash flow to make sure that inventory is is healthy um and then yeah i mean it's that's a pretty kind of straightforward asset i mean you need the inventory in order to sell anything so it's obviously part of the deal now i mean for some of your listeners and they might be asking well how do you how do you figure inventory that's a big conversation how do you figure inventory as part of the overall valuation and call it the enterprise value of the company in most and almost mo- all of our trades, since they tend to be a bit larger, um, it's always viewed as what it's a it's a working capital analysis, effectively. And so we do that internally. We do that with the buyers. We you know trade notes, and of course we're fighting for our client. But we we do a working capital analysis to see how much of the inventory that currently sits in a quote warehouse or is on the water or is getting produced is needed to run the business in the current run rate that it's, that it's showing. Outside of that is overage. Any overage is typically just purchased at cost. That's how, that's how almost all of our trades that we've done, have they have been analyzed in terms of inventory.
0: So in, in terms is this true when you have like so much inventory that helps the multiple of how much your business is, you know, essentially what it's worth. Like depending a, on like, yeah, it's, how does that it's work?
1: a, it's a, it's a weird tactic, um, to kind of put inventory out there to juice and evaluation inventory is, uh, it's, it's the fabric, it's, it's DNA of the company, right. You know, to extract it and put it to the side and say, oh, but yeah, here's inventory, here's goodwill, or here's the asset purchase price. And then here's the inventory that goes with it for us in, in main street, when you have smaller deals, that, that's just kind of a, a tactic a, a a call it legacy tactic <laughs> how people have traditionally sold those businesses we don't mm-hmm. do any of that in our firm uh, we just we just look at it differently we uh, it goes back to what I just said working capital analysis any overage of that working capital analysis that's agreed upon with the buyer the seller us is then is then sold at cost and so okay. we're not we're not trying to sit there and juice a valuation. With. Yeah. there's 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 a specific broke brokerage that does that and i think it's a really bad tactic i think okay. it's, it's i think it's very bad actually
0: and what just to clarify when you mean juice it meaning like hey there's inventory out there that is either not accounted for is that what you mean by that like w- maybe be more specific. i've, actually, I've
1: actually seen a brokerage put inventory in the cash flow number to juice so what they were trying to state to to a potential buyer is hey cash flow is 200 inventory is 200 but all together is 400 give me a multiple of that you're basically trying to make a buyer pay for a multiple of inventory it's stupid it really is just stupid i don't know how else to explain it well yeah I can't even so give you you, you
0: took br- up in the first part chris so just just maybe like really quick simple like it it cut out just as you were starting to explain it so really quickly yeah it, it's inventory just really simply if you could again one more time I'm sorry Yeah
1: no problem because I think this so, is
0: important to the Yeah I,
1: and I've seen it not a lot of folks not a lot of folks do this okay so uh, this isn't a blanket industry thing I've seen it happen once and and what they what they effectively did was and I I seen it when I say once I saw it from one particular brokerage they they took the cash flow of the business and they mm-hmm. took the inventory cost and they totaled that number and they p- applied a multiple to the total, okay. which is terrible, absolutely terrible. So okay. it's just it's you. you I, again, I can't even intelligently walk anyone through that because it genuinely is just such a. It's just so stupid.
0: Well, so and maybe I'm I'm seeing the the oversight in this. The difference is basically you're double dipping on the same thing. Is that essentially the easiest way to say it?
1: To- the easiest way is you're trying to apply a multiple to inventory costs and that's just not real that's not a real thing
0: so that, wh- why is that why why is that a distinction that is not true if like i buy it is that part of my brand or is my product essentially my costs that i, yeah, I it's, owe it's my debt or it's my you know something i technically own right
1: yeah you own it as the company owns it right and mm-hmm. it's good it's, it's an asset that's used to produce cash flow but okay, cash yeah. flow cash flow ebitda what all of it produces is what you should be paying for and then inventory is cost or like i said earlier it's utilized inside of a working capital analysis to see how much of the inventory that is currently sitting within the business is actually needed to run the company Mm -hmm. on a just a, a current run rate the current growth trajectory that's why a working capital analysis is very important um, and then overage is always for us is always just apply to cost, whatever the cost. So you're, you're, breaking,
0: out, you're breaking out even further, like they're distinguishing, you're di- taking a step further and distinguishing a mo- more categories. So it's easier to break down and see like how a business is actually functioning. Essentially, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And
1: like, there's, there's another brokerage that I think does, does a really good job of showing, Hey, here's what we believe is the, co- the cost of the business. So it's you know three hundred thousand in cash flow. We believe that you should pay nine hundred thousand for the business plus inventory, and they do that with every deal they put out. And I think that's that's a very transparent, good way of showing any buyer that's looking to to buy any of their particular deals or deal flow. Um, I think it's a good, transparent way of doing it. My my gotcha. argument, or not argument, but my counterpoint to that though is. When you start to get into larger sized trades and larger sized businesses, that has never been a thing. You don't mm-hmm. ever just go out to a private equity firm and let them know the cost of this business is $3 million plus 400000 in inventory. That's not a real thing in that financial market and those financial markets in that world. So the way you do it is here's the information you need as a big boy to do your own valuation. I'm going to provide you with the story. I'm going to provide you with every bit of information you need. You're gonna see a very organized, wonderful company that you should purchase. I'm gonna sell you on why it makes sense. So it's a lot of technical sales. And mm-hmm. then you're gonna come back to me and tell me what you think it's worth, the entire business. And then we're gonna talk about inventory in a working capital perspective. So gotcha. anyway.
0: No, no, that makes sense. And that, that's why it's, it's, it's I wanna make sure we're hundred percent clear on that. Um, so we maximize inventory and that makes sense why you have to do that we go back to brand. How are you maximizing someone's brand? If they're working for you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Highly qualitative, you know, the brand, the, 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 the measurement of a brand is all of the, the financial and, and effectively digital metrics, right? It's gonna be much more qualitative and not quantitative. And so, you know, how do you apply a number to brand, right? Well, you don't, it just makes you a much more attractive acquisition you know, when someone can clearly again, we just had a business close two days ago, so these guys had a brand, a real brand. Mm-hmm. And the result of that was highly intelligent people who were looking at this business and distinguishing whether it's a good acquisition target for them. All of them identified this is a really great brand. And the result of that was a really good trade, a really right. strong valuation for the business, because it was much more attractive than say, Someone who doesn't necessarily have brand, not vertically focused and effectively just a commodity that's producing cash flow.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, very straight, simple, straightforward. And I know we're coming up on the top of the hour, and I'm assuming uh, I only have you until then. I'm going to do a rapid fire quick, a couple questions for you. Love it. Bring it, man. Yeah. I've been writing this as I go. So I have a couple most exciting opportunities uh, for you as a company. What are
1: those? Oh, top quartile, uh, top quartile brands that um, are highly organized and the business owners, they, they know their business very, very well. And they know what the future of the company looks like. They've got it down pat. Got Always, it. every day, I'll take that.
0: Okay. Best categories to be in as an Amazon seller to sell. Oh, business. my gosh.
1: Uh, home improvements. Great. Pets. Great baby products is good just because it's niche and it's kind of like taxes. Everyone's always having babies. They're three best. Slim. But, <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, I'd probably put those as the top three. A lot of like vitamins are good. Anything that's got, it's just really crowded. It's really saturated. Uh, but the, the, the toy, that's another good one. You know, like just getting really solid valuations
0: best marketplace to be in besides whether it's international on Amazon or off of Amazon.
1: Best marketplace. Oh my gosh. Uh, da, 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 da. Definitely not Sears or Kmart. Um,
0: <laughs> or Macy's that, right now.
1: <laughs> I right know, Or Overstock, uh, a Walmart, obviously. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like, oh, well, of course you would get that answer, but they're doing a lot of things to make it a much more seller friendly platform. I think you're going to see them, I think you're going to see them come on the scene pretty hot and heavy in 21, 22, and give Amazon a true competition.
0: Yep, I'm also telling people Target, Target's coming on strong and Target as a marketplace yeah. will be coming quite quite quickly and heavily, I think yeah. that will open up uh, for a lot of US sellers. International marketplaces, any any of those that, or if you're on .com uh, or Amazon.com, makes it look good if you're selling in this Amazon marketplace.
1: Uh, I think, uh, I mean, you know, naturally Canada is easy, Mexico is always easy, but, uh, UK, Germany, those tend to be the top two that are, are yep. outside of just U.S. marketplace. Japan yep. is coming on strong. Australia is coming on strong. You're only going to get so much market share though out of those two because it's only so big. So,
0: right. That, those are growth. Those are growth uh, opportunities. I continue to tell our listeners number one, number two, and two A. It's uh, UK and Germany they always flip flop. They do about seventy percent of the UK or the European business on Amazon. Yeah. Number three is always surprising. is Japan. Japan is yeah. the number one. No, Number three marketplace in Amazon right now. In Japan,
1: if you have something that they want, it will trend like crazy. I used to work for a Tokyo based company when I first started. So I used to go to Tokyo about twice a year. And I'm telling you, I I saw my um, my chairman having a, at the time, a charm off of his cell phone. Seriously, like a Hello Kitty charm. Yep. And I was like, that's, that's weird. That's interesting. I went to Tokyo for the first time everywhere.
0: Everyone had it. Yep. They
1: it, uh, gaslight a trend, man. It is unbelievable.
0: Trend, trends are weird. We had, a uh, uh, we had a PPC specialist from PPC Ninja on, and she talked about Japan specifically. And she said the trends that you see in Japan are unbelievable. one if you, if you're writing a trend, you will have literally everyone in the country will be purchasing that, uh, product. Uh, my final question before we hit the top of the hour, Why is it important to work with a broker if you want to exit your business
1: well i will i'll give you an answer in two parts but i'll be quick um i would always say that if you are just looking for a very quick transaction and uh you don't want to go through a very um optimized process by all means use a traditional business broker but if you want to use a more uh i'd say sophisticated process to optimize your transaction you'd want to use an investment banking process. And so I I would tell people that first off, it's been it's just nothing is new under the sun. Aggregators right now are contacting people left and right. They're getting poached every day direct
0: direct to customer uh, direct L- to uh, sellers. Listen
1: yes. to me very clearly. There are 60 of them now and growing. We get we get in, we get inquiries of of at least but 2 just per week. yeah.
0: Not just the United States, so, but also internationally so just, too. Just
1: starting there, the growing everywhere. And and, and and oh, by the way, if you want to go work directly with them, you effectively signal to everybody, hi, I'm a commodity business because your bid isn't going to be any better than anyone else's bid. You're effectively saying I'm steel and corn. That's what you're telling people. And so when you're that, and you, treat, and you believe you're a commodity, well, you're not going to be negotiating from a position of strength when you're going direct to, say, any of the aggregators. Um, so I would say using a process is going to allow you to put your business in front of, not just tons and tons of buyers, but you're actually gonna put yourself in front of the right buyers that, oh, by the way, they're not looking at, these websites of other brokers. They're not looking, they're not subscribers to those, to those email lists. You know, they, they, it'll actually give your business a chance to find the right fit and potentially, yes, have a better trade, have a better structure for your deal. So yes, utilizing. And also too, it just goes down to, if you're going to go to court, are you just going to go by yourself and represent yourself?
0: I hope not, but you can.
1: But if you believe if you believe all you need is let's just go, let's, let's, you know, maybe even kind of use the real estate. I can actually couple it with a real estate example. If you believe you can sell your house by yourself, I don't actually think that's very difficult. Right. But when you're talking about something way more complex, like court, you need good representation. When you're talking about a complex business and, and a transaction, a business sale, that's more complex more sizable, more functions within the business. You always want good representation, always. And you want to build out a good team to help you with that transaction.
0: Yeah. That's good. what well, that's a good place to stop. I think today, I, I always tell people like know your assets and know your business and make sure that you have people who are going to work on your side because again, just like anything, if you don't know all the necessities and all the ways to optimize your business, you know, people do this for a living. And that's why, like, obviously, even if it makes, you know, if it's a couple percentage points that are going to these companies, that's more money that they can potentially give you though. So again, it's optimizing, making sure you can get yes. your multiples correct, making sure you get your assets correct, making sure you're not getting theoretically, you know, leaving money on the table, which is why ping pong payments is all about too.
1: So uh, well, I'll, I'll leave you with this too. We spoke to a, somebody who used to work at one of the large funds, aggregator funds. And Mm -hmm. they point point blank told us anyone who came alone did not do nearly as well as someone who came with representation.
0: Yeah. Time and time again. Yeah. I hear that all the time. It's, you know, again, they're not doing it on your behalf. It's just that, you know, you put numbers on a, a table and it's just like business in general. So make sure you as a seller are, you know, Understanding there's other options out there, you can just bring people to the table. And no, you know, if it's not with one broker and you feel comfortable with another, or they help you out and you go to the table and you still feel comfortable with that, go for it. But again, yeah. there's always those what if options, and you don't want to take your biggest asset and leave the rest of your life with a what
1: if. So that's right.
0: Yeah. So Chris, what where can people find you or where can they learn more information yeah. if they're like
1: interested or talk to you guys more? Pretty simple, man. Go to Google or for 3% of the people using Bing and 1% using Yahoo. <laughs> Type in global wired advisors. Um, I know you also put it in the show notes and you've got it also yep. in the comment section. So yeah, just come to our website. My email address is there. My my phone number is there. Um, you can fill out a consultation form. You can actually, we have a valuation tool. We always tell people it's just really for, for folks to kind of see oh, at 90,000 feet because <laughs> devil's in the details. Um, but we've got a valuation tool. It's just something we've, we've built that we also feed it with real time information as deals close. So yeah, I would, that's, that's the best way to, 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 to get in touch with us is go directly to our website.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. And now I, I know you're a, uh, you're busy guy, so we'll make sure that they get in touch with you again in the show notes, we put the website and then also how to connect with Chris on LinkedIn. So that's also super important just to understand like the content he's putting out there, um, message him directly. Uh, Chris, it's been fantastic just kind of understanding your guys' business, just talking you through. I know we can go down the dark hole of like talking about other things like Disney anytime. (laughs) So anytime you want to come back on or just like think that there's other topics that need to be discussed, let us know. Um, We're going to start doing more roundtable discussions and whatnot in the future. So you you know where to find me. But again, uh, yeah, loved having you on. Thanks so much for joining us today and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Yep. Thanks again, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And, and then uh, again, everyone who's watching, thank you so much for hopping on uh, Crossover Commerce with me, your host, Ryan Kramer, with Ping Pong Payments. Uh, I go live almost every single day, which I continuously say to people, it's important to know because you're always going to get nuggets of information uh, in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Today, we talked about your biggest asset, Amazon, and the uh, assets, and we broke it down to even further, the four parts that you can potentially build and grow and what to look for when potentially exiting your business, working with brokers, working with aggregators, things such as that. But next week, I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about, again, going live. This is (laughs) Next week is kind of my most ambitious week to date. I'm going live with six different entities. That means two times in one day, I'm going to be coming at you live with other nuggets and information. Uh, Check out this lineup. We're going to be talking with Seller Snap. They're located... We're going to talk about Amazon's algorithm and winning the buy box with them. We're going to be talking with Frank Acosta and Creative Percent, building brands with more with that move with Amazon video ads. So we're going to be talking about another really cool opportunity for video ads. Uh, sourcing with Kian, King Ghazari of uh, Sourcing with Kian. He works with the NBA. He's worked with the Olympics. He works and knows the ins and outs of sourcing products internationally. And we're going to be talking product sourcing in 2021. Everything you need to know. Uh, what's changed? What's not? It's Chinese New Year that happened, I believe, yesterday. So if you didn't connect with your Chinese supplier, it's going to be a long time before you can get your goods into FPA warehouses or to your own uh, fulfillment locations. Also, we're going to talk with another brokerage, believe it or not, quite like brokerage, uh, with Joe Valley. Joe is fantastic. I was on his show and we were just talking through financials in general. Um, he's going to talk about how to reverse engineer a path to an exit. So he's going to take what we talked about today, how to Kind of reverse engineer it and kind of help you in that regards. And then on Friday, that's my two for one uh, day. Friday is typically laid back. I'm in like a sweatpants and, you know, a, ja- a jacket or something like that. Uh, Friday is going to be a lot, but I am super excited. We're going to be talking about uh, the event Women of Amazon um, with uh, Seller Sessions and Danny McMillan. And that organization, but we're going to have on four killer Amazon strong women that are just killing it in the Amazon space. And I'm super excited to have an Amazon roundtable uh, focusing on women in the Amazon space. Uh, so tune into that in the morning. Um, that's on East Coast time, 10 o'clock Eastern. And then later that afternoon, we're going to be going with Andrew Morgans of Marknology, building your Amazon legacy. He's fantastic. And he's based out of Um, just talking about e-commerce in general, been around in the space. So we're going to be bringing you lots of heavy hitters next week, lots of content, but make sure you join in live and tune in to crossover commerce. Again, I'm Ryan Kramer, your host. Go ahead and follow me on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and, uh, Instagram, but make sure you follow ping pong payments as well on social media. And that's on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. That's where we, uh, tell people all about our shows that are coming up for the next week. So stay tuned. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Share this episode with your followers and listeners and your friends if they're looking to exit their business. But I'm here to give you as much information and knowledge from my perspective and the perspective of our guests. So thank you again for joining us live on Crossover Commerce or if you're listening to us on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. We appreciate it. Make make sure you like and rate the episode and then also subscribe to our channels have a great weekend everyone be safe out there and we'll catch you next time on crossover conversation